What's up, guys? This is Prince Ye, and you are listening to the Duke Hand Show. Yo, check it out. Welcome to your tribe. You know, when you go through a kidney transplant, they don't remove the bad ones. They, they leave them floating around. Yeah. They leave them floating around. They, yeah, they, they, they just stay right there. Yeah. Right? Because if they remove them, then... Oh, no, it's just there's no point of removing them. Otherwise, it's two surgeries. Yeah. Because your kidneys are here. Yeah. Your new transplanted ones are in your lower abdomen. So then they got to do two surgeries. And if there's a way to avoid that, then why not? Yeah, so they only take your old ones out if, you know, it's bleeding or it's causing damage or it will impact the new kidney, and they have to remove it. Other than that, they keep them. So right now i got four, six, eight, ten kidneys in this one this episode. This is a ten-kidney wow. situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've it. never been through one of these. <laughs> you never like, know. I'm, probably, I'm 100% sure you've been through a lot of interviews. Yeah. But it's ten-kidney interview. This is your first ten-kidney interview. ten-kidney interview. There you go. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> So welcome, man. Welcome to our Dukan. Thank you, bro. Welcome to, to the studio. Good to be here. So I think this is not your first time here. Reem and I actually had a meeting in Sharjah once, which we walked into. That's right. We went to, okay. Well, I forgot the name of the we event. We went to go see Larry King. That's right. That's what we went down for. And then he got sick. And then we were like, oh, fine. We'll see this guy. And I loved your Yeah. And oh, you were God. on stage. Really like, I, I wrote King. him. I told yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Larry King was supposed to be here. And I love Larry King. Initially, and yeah, that was the talk we were going up, we we're going down for. We drove to Sharjah. It was a thing, and then so then he went on stage, yeah. and it was so funny because um, a lot Wait, of what time did you drive to Sharjah? It was Just, like oh, his, was it he like, was on uh, at eleven. Time, uh, okay. oh, we were, he was yeah, on at eleven a.m. Okay. Yeah, and Larry King was supposed to be on at like noonish or something like that. Yeah. All I know was I just looked at you and I was like, okay, I get it. Like I totally got, I totally get what you do. Do you think, are you a spoken word artist first? Are you a poet first? Are you a Are you a hip-hop first? artist first? Like, what do you feel? What came first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I'm, I'm love first. And um, I try to, whatever vehicle I use to express that, whether it's spoken word, rap, speaking, painting, whatever, it's, it's all comes from the same source. Hmm. Do you believe that all artists are connected. Some people have this consciousness, believe in this consciousness that all artists are connected mm-hmm. to a unified sort of hive mind or a collective consciousness. Or do you feel like this is just one unit, all wow, you? That's a great question. You know, I think we can go back to the greats. You know, Mozart, he said, he doesn't know where it comes from. It comes from the ether. You know, my, um, Michael Jackson, he's like, I didn't create this, this melody. It just came to me. Throughout history, they talk about the muse. Yeah. And we can, we don't have to philosophize about it. Um, Where do thoughts come from? Are you the thinker of your own thoughts? If you were, then tell me what's your next thought going to be? This is what, uh, when you get into deep meditation, you realize that the thoughts actually come to you. You're not actually creating them. It's a subtle um, 
distinction that happens, but it can only be observed when you're silent. So if I told you, um, don't think, you couldn't do it mm -hmm. because the thoughts happen, right? The ideas, every idea I've ever, I don't create it. It just comes to me when I'm in this stillness and I'm in this, this space of allowance. I'm on a walk. Einstein said, why do my best ideas happen when I'm in the shower? Yeah. See, when we're not thinking about it, then the ideas come. Mm -hmm. You know how many times we sat down, all three of us, and we, we were always contemplating that we can never do, we can never meditate because we can never just shut off. Like I, I don't think that can ever happen. Like yeah. we had a whole, I think we, we had, had a whole show whole. about how we complained that he can't meditate. He I'll meditate. tell you why. Because one time in Lebanon, <laughs> I went to, I'll tell you the story. Okay, I went, I, I, I went to a full moon meditation, and in, and it was on a rooftop in Lebanon. Now Lebanon is not the quietest place in the world, so I go to this rooftop thing for a full meditation. I'm sitting down there and they're like, all right, just be quiet and listen to your whatever we have to listen to. <laughs> and downstairs, all, there's a guy honking, there's the mosque praying, there's a guy shouting. And I was like, how do people do this? And I look at people around me and they're so like in that zone. And I'm like, what is going And I'm like, and you know, and I got stung by a bee and like, this only happened to me. And, 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 the, whole thing, and the guy's walking around with the bong thing goes like, you're on a beach and there's a race. Walk it's towards a, the race. It's and a then gong. You see a, <laughs> Not bro. a bong. It's uh, a gong. A gong? A gong? Yeah. It's a bong. It's a bong. It's a bong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes like, you're on a beach and you're walking and then you see your, 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 and then you see yourself as talking and I'm like, and I'm looking and I'm and there's people shouting downstairs and the mosque and I'm like, how do people do this? Like, how do you just disconnect? Like, how? Like, you, it's because you don't have inner peace, bro. Like, <laughs> how, do I, how do you get to inner peace? What are the directions? Well, so meditation uh, can go by many names. Um, some people call it uh, the flow state. You've heard of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flow state. Okay. yeah. So you, you play basketball. You ever been in the zone? Yeah. I, basketball is my form of therapy, for this, example. This is it. So when you're not thinking, the body is just doing it, right? Mm. It's just one with the Tao. is called it one with Tao. Um, but those people who were, who you thought were like, you know, just yeah. quite, meditation really isn't that. Meditation, and I often use it in different fashions, mm -hmm. but the true definition of meditation is not a doing, it's who you are. So you don't do meditation, you are meditation. Um, meditation isn't like you concentrate on a blue dot, that's concentration. Um, the Dalai Lama, he said, sleep is the best form of meditation. You sleep? You, you sleep? Yeah. Where you meditate. This is okay. it. This is when the, when the, when the mind is still. Um, and the more, but the more that you can observe the thoughts coming and going and not try, because if you try to steal the mind, the mind's natural, it's, it's nature is, is like up and down. It's like waves to have thoughts, right? You can't go up to an ocean and say, don't know waves. It's not going to happen. Meditation is simply to, to be still and to observe the mind dancing. That's it. And not getting caught up when that horn is beeping, when the bee is biting, you know, stinging you. It's just simply to be, to be here now. Right? There's, all these, there's all these books here, The Power of Now. You heard of this book? I've heard of the book, yeah. There's one in the 70s that came out. It's called Be Here Now. Yeah. What are they talking about? Yeah. Well, now is it. Because only in this present moment are you not 
worried about the past, which is a graveyard, and you're not trying to predict the future. So, so the mind can't exist in the now. So if you can be fully present, this is meditation. But you can't think you're doing it. You can only do it. In the Tao, it says you can't know it. You can only be it. Okay. At what part of your journey did you? At what part of your journey did you first realize what you know now? I think there's always this point of transition in one's life that leads you in this new direction. So, what part of your life was that, and what yeah. was that piece? Yeah. So I started off as a as a hip hop artist. Yeah. I was a rapper, and um, I love telling this story. You know, I was I was mildly successful. You know, I was I had done shows with Ludacris and worked with Grammy Award winning artists. I was in Vibe magazine. I was getting awards, best hip hop artist in St. Louis. But I was unhappy. Mm. I was unfulfilled. And I was out of alignment. Um, you know, I'm from the north side of St. Louis. And, you know, St. Louis is always on the FBI's most dangerous city list. Hmm. You know, I lived next to drug dealers my whole life. If you're from St. Louis and you're black, you got three options, basically. You can be a ball player, you can sell drugs, or you could be a rapper. I was too short to be a ball to really... I could play, but I couldn't. You know, go pro. Not here in the UAE or center. I, you know, and, and you know, selling drugs wasn't an option for me. You know, my dad was a cop. So, oh, wow. you know, okay. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I'm glad can't. you studied that option, though. Yeah, like, <laughs> you can't keep the stash in there. It's easier to make So I chose rap, and that's what I did. This was my outlet. And I did it for many years. I, like I said, I was mildly successful, but I was unfulfilled. And I wanted to quit. Um, when was that? Around what age? Um, it's blurry now, mm. man. Maybe like eight years ago. I don't know. Okay. Um, I wanted to quit. And everybody around me was like, don't quit, don't quit, don't, you can't quit. See, in our society, quitting is a weakness, right? Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. quit. But I tell people all the time, often it's letting go that requires true strength. And during this time, I stumbled upon a, a story from Gandhi. And see, back in the day, Gandhi had uh, organized and led a march in India. Spent weeks and months trying to organize, put this thing together. <clears throat> and after one day, he quit. Gandhi quit. It's all of Gandhi's followers that were organizing this thing with him, they were like, Gandhi, how you? Mm-hmm. We spent all this time. How you just going to quit? You call yourself a spiritual leader? A guru, you're a coward. You quit one day? Gandhi said something I'd never forget. He said, my commitment is to truth, not to consistency. Mm, my commitment is to truth, not to consistency. Like and so I internalized that. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm being consistent with something that's not true to who I am. Mm-hmm. So I quit. And I went on this search to try to just be happy. That's all I wanted was to just be happy. But where is this thing called happiness? Where is it? Is it in the palace? Is it in the cabin? Everybody in the world wants to be happy. Everybody listening to this wants to be happy. Everybody in this room wants to be happy. And if everybody has a desire, why are so many of us unhappy? Mm-hmm. So I went on this search, you know, everywhere. I, I read the ancient scriptures and everything from... The, the, the Bhagavad Gita, the Ribu Gita, the Upanishads. I read the, you know, stuff from the Sufi mystics. You know, everything, the, the the modern gurus, the Ram Dass, the Eckhart Tolle's, the Byron Katie's. 
the Wayne Dyers, everybody. And um, I sat in stillness. And it was through stillness that I recognized that, you know, happiness isn't out there. It's in here. And like Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. See, this whole world is us. The reality is us. There's no world out there. It's all in here. And once I recognize this truth, I realize that the answer to every single problem we face, not only at a macro level, at a political level, but also a micro level inside of us, the answer is love. It's coming back home to love, to peace. And so once I had these discoveries, I went back to using music, to using the spoken word as a way to share this, to, to, to convey these messages, but no longer from the standpoint of how can I be the best rapper and how can I get a grant? Now I'm just like, how can I serve? How can I give? And when I did that, everything changed. Not only did my internal being change because I was now flowing, but externally everything changed as well. You know, I went from getting thousands of views on my content to getting hundreds of millions of views on my content. I went from performing in local clubs to getting flown to speak in foreign countries in front of world leaders. You know, uh, uh, celebrities started posting my videos on their page. Will Smith, all these guys. Oprah flew me out to L.A. to, to, to premiere my videos on her network. And she gave me a hug and gave me mm. a kiss on the cheek right here. What does Oprah smell like? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was just Does she smell on. like love? Was there a lipstick stain on your cheek? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, stain. <laughs> you want to wash your cheek after that? Wash them right <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, and I say all this not to impress, you know, anybody. Yeah. But really to impress upon you that when you're in that flow, when you're in that yep. alignment, great things happen. And so what do you tell people who are out of alignment? Because there is, it's interesting because I, I found your content five years ago. Dear Future Generation was, in my mind, it'll sit as a masterpiece in your, in your line of work, you know, in your body of work. And you know this, you know. Uh, wildly successful, 20 million something views on YouTube uh, alone, not to mention the different platforms it's been mm. posted on, the number of shares, the number of conversations, the number of news stations that posted it. So for me, when I look at something like that, and I'm like, okay, that's sitting in someone's feed along, like someone might see, you know, uh, you know, uh, a mu uh, something, a music video before that, and then that video, which is so deep and so touching, and then something completely bays and like, you know, mm -hmm. superficial, right? But how do you get, how do you cut through and how does someone get to alignment in this, in this world of things that is not always disaligned, but leading us to this alignment? You mean, how do I... How, well, how would you advise someone? How would I advise somebody? Um, if you have one year to live, doctor calls you up and says, hey, Reem, you got your results back. Got about a year to live. Um, I'm sorry, but you know, use this time wisely. What do you do? What do you do? If you have one year to live, and whatever you chose to do, you were guaranteed to succeed at. Yeah. Chances are that's what you need to be doing. Death has always been my method of 
shift it back into alignment. Mm. A lot of us are afraid of death. But I try to keep death on my left shoulder as a friend. Yeah. And so many cultures have used death in the same way as well. Um, the ancient Greeks and Stoics. You ever seen a, a movie you got a skull on somebody's yeah, desk? Yeah. So this skull translates to memento mori, which means remember that you will die. Yeah. It's the only guarantee, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. As far as I know, I've said it to my team. It's I've the only truth in life. I can say whatever, but I can only, there's only one guarantee. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. So you guys better figure this out <laughs> quickly because we're all going to die. Yeah. And I think that I have, a, um, I can only speak for myself. I have a very deep acceptance of that. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a good relationship with mm-hmm. that. I, I, I've, I, I've suffered a lot of loss that's helped fig- me figure out that, you know, it's worth it to be here. But uh, it is a motivator mm-hmm. and it is something mm-hmm. that shouldn't be feared. Uh, I think in old in other societies, you mm-hmm. in older societies, mm-hmm. that wasn't so distant from us. Mm-hmm. You would hear of people coming and going mm-hmm. and you would have that in your communities. Yeah. But over here, someone passes and they sort of, you see it on Facebook mm-hmm. and then that feed continues yeah. and then, you know. And I think, but that's also a cultural thing because like, I and I've spoken about this in many many depths before on this show where I became hyper aware of my mortality and the idea of death after my first surgery because the kidney transplant was the easy part. The rejection episode afterwards was difficult. And um, I had a nurse that came in that had sniffles or something. I caught it and my lungs stopped. My lungs don't work. I had to be on a machine. He was in a coma for three days. Yeah. And then I had to be in a machine that was kickstarting my lungs like a lawnmower. And we're just, you know, fingers crossed, praying that it works again. Mm. Right? And then you go through this physio to learn how to breathe from scratch again. And then that created this hyper-awareness of it. And I was challenged by the thought of what have I done? Mm. If, if this was, if I was gone now, what have I done to this point? Mm. Right? Um, and that became my driver. And that became my motivator across pretty much anything I do. Yeah. Um, and... It's so interesting because when I was younger, my dad speaks, interesting enough, he speaks so highly of it. He always says, like, yo, I'm going to die tomorrow. Are you guys ready for me to go? And as a kid, like, at 11, you don't want to hear your dad say something like that. Yeah, he did probably still say it till now. Same yeah, he still does. Like, and my, my dad was like, I might not be here tomorrow. You guys don't. I'm like, but I could why? Like, what's yeah. the... Like, <laughs> what is the reason yeah, why? But after that experience, <laughs> I, I understood that. He has just this complete acceptance, huh. right? That, yo, my time's going to be up any minute now. Are you guys ready for that? Because I am, you know? And that was a very clear message from him. And that was his driver. That was his motivator. And it's interesting because the, I understand the fear of it, but also now I understand the motivation that it gives, right? And that's, that's the realignment, I think. If you fall out of alignment, how do you fall back in? Mm-hmm. But it's also because it's us or there's a lot of people that don't fear death, but they just fear about dying before they've accomplished what they want to accomplish or not accomplishing what they've set out throughout the life or feeling that they didn't do enough to be remembered kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's not the factor of dying. It's just, have I done enough to be remembered or have I done enough for the family or for my successors or for my kids or for whoever it is? And that's the thought that's scary. I think that if you're, if leaving you're kind them of, behind. if you're going in this, if you're, if you're thinking in the state of being in the now, in the completely present, whatever you are is enough and whatever mm-hmm. you've done is enough. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. That if we go now, we've done everything we can do. You've done your best. You've done it. Therefore, it's fine. <laughs> and, but how do you reconcile that? Do you have, do you set forward thinking goals as in like long-term goals 
for yourself, for your career? Or are you on this path of just every step right now? Yeah, you know, it's an old joke. You want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. I, I do have plans, but I'm not attached to them. Mm -hmm. I do have goals, but I'm not attached to them. Yeah. Sure, yeah, it's good to have goals. But also, if it, if it shifts around, you know, I'm not falling in love with my plans. I'm not falling in love mm. with my plans. That's, <laughs> I'm going to carry that with me for yeah. a while. Salam. Salam.